snippets of on our episode called The People Are a River. Jake discusses the significance of Line 3 across Turtle Island, from the summer heat domes of the Pacific Northwest to polar ice cap melt in Alaska. We talk about the need for indigenous leadership and land stewardship, strengthening cross-movement solidarity, and how this movement affects all of us. If you're just learning about Line 3, here is some context. Line 3 is a pipeline expansion project that will process tar sands from Alberta, Canada and carry the refined oil across Anishinaabe Treaty Land in Minnesota to Superior, Wisconsin. Enbridge Corporation, the Canadian pipeline construction company, is responsible for the largest oil spill in the U.S. in 1991 in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. They've been permitted by the state of Minnesota to remove 5 billion gallons of water from the Mississippi headwaters to complete this project, which has already wreaked havoc on the land, water, and water protectors. The Mississippi headwaters have dropped 10 feet since April of 2021. There have already been 28 drilling spills in the wetlands, and over 700 water protectors have been arrested by local sheriff departments, which are being paid off by Enbridge. The situation is dire, worse by some accounts than the Dakota Access Pipeline, as this pipeline will cross over 227 waterways, including the Mississippi, twice. The project's destruction and violence perpetuates climate catastrophe and the brutalization of indigenous people the vital wild rice, the animals, and land. Let's turn it over to Jake Spotted Wolf. All right, so we are uh, in Aiken County. Aiken mm-hmm. County. <laughs> yeah, where are we? At the uh, Sheriff's Department. We're waiting on arrestees that may or may not have already been brought here um, and waiting to find out what our status is for other potential arrests from an action this morning. Do you want to say more about the action? Uh, yeah, we Willow Willow uh, River. River. Mm-hmm. There may have been some uh, blockading that went down allegedly, and cops took people out of the river. From what we have heard, this is speculation so far. We don't have confirmation, so I don't want to put that out there and then have people in a frenzy. But that said, uh, indigenous people were in canoes on the water, and it said that the cops were going to arrest them from there. I do have confirmation that they were kettled. So that's hugely problematic in the sense that, one, that they were indigenous, two, it's their treaty land, and three, that it was a public waterway, 
that they weren't doing anything wrong in. They weren't locked down. They were not trespassing to get to the water. It was public land. So in terms of egregious activity by officers and how they abuse their power, that's one example. They also harassed people at camp that were parked on the side of the road legally, kept on coming by with threats of impound and tows. They did bring the impound truck out, the tow truck out to uh, impound these vehicles and (laughs) the fucking tow truck uh, turned around and went back because nobody was parked illegally. So yay for a tow truck driver that did the right thing because that doesn't always happen for us, um, that they use discernment and that they understand, you know, where their line is in terms of like, okay, this is illegal and I get that, you know, the sheriff could be pushing their will here, but I'm not going to engage with that behavior. So nobody else's car was towed from camp. There were some tows that happened at the action site, two vehicles so far. And other than that, we're waiting. We're just sitting here waiting for status updates in terms of who was where, if we have some comrades inside. One comrade went in and asked whoever was there, an officer, a sheriff that was um, at the action this morning, and that sheriff said that they were processing some people on a gross misdemeanor trespass. Yeah, and that means they'll be held potentially overnight? Yes, that they won't see um, the judge until tomorrow morning, mm-hmm. at around 9 is what we're hearing. And again, waiting to find out, like, were they being processed at the site, or are they, like, here inside being processed? And this morning's action was really important because the drilling has already begun underneath the Mississippi. Yep. So as we went back to camp to regroup, we heard the drill down at the other side of the river, of where we were, from Willow River. They were down at the Mississippi. So um, it was really hard to hear just because you knew what it was you know you knew it was a drill you knew it was going under the so not hard to hear in terms of like the volume mm-hmm. it was hard to hear that activity happening painful. yeah 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 really painful yeah do you want to share anything about what brought you out to camp i'm indigenous i have three affiliated tribes so that's mandan sanish and hidatsu out of north dakota and montana territory i'm an activist out in seattle PNW represent. Yeah, and I've been out there for about, I mean, I've been there since 97, but I've been doing this work for about a year on this level of intensity. Um, A Saturday march, you know, that was specifically geared toward indigenous issues. And I ended up out here knowing that there was more work to be done than what I could be doing in the Pacific Northwest. And there was more solidarity in terms of other indigenous and other activists that are going as hard there is a little bit of complacency in the Pacific Northwest and I've called that out and it's just gone. I've actually been like pretty severely ridiculed for discussing that stuff. So this felt like where I needed to be. I missed Standing Rock, wasn't able to make it out there because of like an injury that I had and I was in full-time school. So this felt like a place that I could finally show up and have the physical energy and the mental energy to put towards doing some really good work and I've been out here since May 19th wow yeah so you miss the heat wave in the PNW yep I actually was in Washington DC for it we were trying to lobby or speak with the Biden administration we got a we did get an audience with Ilhan Omar 
Biden dipped out, of course, because uh, why would he want to hear that he's gone back on his word about climate? You know, something that he ran a campaign on and has very much skirted around. He signaled last week that he was going to sign on for all the permits for Enbridge. But yes, I was in Washington, D.C. while the heat wave was going on in Seattle, and then I flew back right as the wave broke. But it was significant in that there's never been a 114 degree day in Seattle or in Portland. So uh, that didn't even happen in the town I grew up in, which was used to hot weather in southern Idaho. We had maybe 110 at its worst, but to see 114 in a very mild temperate climate full of like vegetation and there's a rainforest off to the you know coast on the peninsula, that's unheard of and actually really scary. It's one of the biggest rainforests on the planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. The hoe yeah. is hugely significant and has kept that climate, you know, very balanced. So to know that in the region itself, right, like close to sea level, it just is not used to egregious weather. So knowing that 114 in it, it rode that wave for a couple of days and only in June, like it was June, July when that weather hit. So we're used to having like some hot days in August in the Pacific Northwest, but even when those are hot days, they're like 90 degree days. Right. And it's June and we had some 114 degrees. That's like, you can't tell me that doesn't have anything to do with climate change. Right. Can you make the connection to line three? Yep. So the emissions, of course, that, you know, oil companies are involved with in terms of the production of their product and where that goes. I mean, we are considered one of the most intelligent species on the planet and we're not imaginative enough to invest our time and money into clean energy, right? Like hemp and solar and wind. You know, some states are making an attempt, but where uh, pipelines are concerned and the messes that they make when a pipeline bursts or their product and the emissions that that puts off, that's uh, hugely problematic in terms of warming the climate. And there's no doubt in my mind that over the years, you know, that's led to these increased temperatures, the ice melting, you know, on polar caps, tundra up in Alaska. We had a speaker with us in Washington, D.C., who was representing for Alaska region and just the change that they've witnessed up in what is a very, you know, Alaska has a very specific climate and that hasn't changed from millennia. And to see these changes happening up there um, is pretty mind-blowing to them. And we just had the massive spill in the Gulf of Mexico. A fire. A fire a in ring the ocean. Of fire. <laughs> and that just didn't seem to bother people. And there was a town in BC that burned down. Yeah, right. 90% right. of that town, after those, those hot temperatures that they experienced, just like Seattle and Portland, uh, 90% of that town is gone. Why is it so vital that these movements be indigenous led because right there's a connection between who's not doing the hemp and the solar and mm. the... right for one indigenous have stewarded the land because they've lived on it you know they know how the land moves how the land works how it functions what it responds to best and they they are in tune with it and in that um they need to have input you know in local like Governor Inslee in Washington refused to speak with tribes, right? That's a huge miss on his part. Again, on another person who ran on climate for the presidential ticket. That was his whole platform, and he refuses to go to natives. That's a huge miss in that 
The natives in Washington know that land better than anybody else. We're talking, you know, them compared to environmental scientists who I get that are, you know, well-informed and educated, but you can't uh, have the same input that you can from somebody who has like, this is ingrained in their DNA. And it, it is science, right? It is. It's yeah, they're very not, connected. It's not capital S Western science. No. But it's, it's like practices based off of observations, mm-hmm. patterns, right? Right. Yeah, just taking in the data, calculating that, and having, you know, a rather good hypothesis of what, you know, the next year or the next three seasons are going to bring. And these are people who have had to watch the land for survival, right? Because up until colonization, that's how they stayed alive. They had to watch the crops. They had to watch when it was going to rain, when it wasn't, how the land responded to whatever they planted. So in terms of like, you know, fire damage, say, the indigenous know how to go out and clear cut or what to clear cut or what to prune back and how to prune it back well in order to keep these fires from growing out of control. And we've seen those fires every year. We've never had a fire problem in the Pacific Northwest. And for the past five years, it's been so gray, so smoky that the sun is just like a little orange spot, you know, in the sky people having to buy HEPA filters and, you know, all the stores having run out of those filters. And these are things that the indigenous know how to prevent, but they're not being brought to the table or taken seriously, really, when it comes to the officials or the people that are charged with keeping not only this country safe, but all of the countries. These people have input that's highly valuable and nobody's talking to them. Because I think at that point, if governments were going to talk to indigenous, they would also have to admit at one point, you know, we've done you wrong, we've done you bad, and we have very much participated in a genocide against your people. So they don't want to actually admit that, like, even the indigenous are still alive, really. And that they do have input and knowledge. But I'm sure maybe, you know, even some governments still think of us as barbarian. Or just trying to invisibilize that yep. there aren't even indigenous people here. Yep. Erasure, I've written papers on erasure and talked until I'm blue in the face. And even, you know, this is going to hit hard for some people to hear. We just had the boats in Seattle, you know, block the boat for Palestine awareness. Very glad that people showed up for that. I'm ecstatic about that. That said, we can't get people to show up for indigenous marches. MMIW, the whole- Missing and murdered indigenous women, mm-hmm. two-spirit, yeah. Yep. They uh, had a big march in April, right before I came out. Actually, no, it was May, I'm sorry. In May, right before I came out here, I can count on one hand how many activists I saw at that march and how many of them were white was two. The rest of them were all BIPOC. So the activists showing up, even activists showing up for indigenous causes is nil. So you take that erasure and you times that by probably 50 and you've got the government's response to how they're going to show up and consult with the indigenous. And that's the most heartbreaking part. Right. And, you know, Palestinian liberation is an indigenous movement. Exactly. They're being colonized. So you're going to tell me that you're going to show up for them in a different country halfway across the world and you can't take the time to show up for the natives in this country is it's heartbreaking it's uh 
I don't even think that mainstream news picked up that Indian Collective hung a land back flag mm. in Rapid City, South Dakota on July 4th. It was beautiful to witness as an indigenous person because these are people that climbed up a silo that's owned by a well-known supremacist out there, dropped the flag, and this flag was huge, but why didn't it hit mainstream media? You know, and residential schools still aren't being searched in America. You only hear about the news that's happening in Canada. So that tells you not only the apathy that the government holds, but the general population when it right. comes to consulting. Right. right. And there's something percolating about, you know, more folks being galvanized around Black Lives Matter. And so how to how to take that momentum and draw folks in to indigenous solidarity. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm fucking elated that black lives finally have a platform because that's obviously necessary. The harms that have been caused against black people in this country is atrocious. Yet those same crimes, you know, murder, genocide, we have the number one police murder rate in indigenous communities, right? Per demographic. We don't have as many indigenous because we've been murdered up to this point. But when you look at the stats, we have that statistic and that's not being talked about. You know, our death rate, mortality rate is 55 years of age. I think we have the lowest life expectancy of any population in America. And again, not being talked about. So how do we get that elevated status? And I, I think my instinct tells me all the time it's because people could grapple with, yes, that black people needed a platform, but if they did that with indigenous people, they would have to admit any culpability that their ancestors had in terms of colonization and taking the land. Or if they were actually to admit that, then they would have to say, I'm living on indigenous land. What does that mean in terms of reconciliation and reparations? And that feels the closest I can get to being like consoled about why um, white America or colonized America will admit or make sense to me in my brain, my body about why they don't show up because it's very heartbreaking and it's enough to kill my spirit when it comes to activism and showing up for white bodies, black bodies, any bodies when we don't have the same solidarity or support. Absolutely. I was going to ask, you know, there was a decent swell, we could say for DAPL, the Dakota mm -hmm. Access Pipeline, mm -hmm. and yet line three has been going on longer. Right. Double, right? Right. I think the difference was the region maybe, I don't know why that would have made a difference in terms, and it was summertime and, you know, people thought like they could stay out there, but I know that it dipped out when it became wintertime. Right. Right. And it also had some celebrity power to it. We've got Jane Fonda. <laughs> don't get me wrong. Thanks, Jane. But also, uh, I don't know if it's going to take bigger names, right? Or more people showing up to this cause. And it could have been, too, that it felt like Standing Rock. It was the first time since Alcatraz, at least that I can remember, where natives have come together in uh, solidarity for a cause. And Alcatraz was like the 60s, right? 70s, 60s? So that's a long time. A long time for a demographic of people to unify and come together. And 
there was more of united effort in terms of it wasn't just standing rock Sioux. It was natives from around the country and we're not getting that here as much. And I don't know why. I don't know if it's because they're both about pipelines. They're both about climate. It really doesn't make sense to me that more aren't showing up. This just occurred to me. Wasn't Trump was in office when Dapple peaked, right? No, it was uh, Obama was in there. Oh, right till the very end. Trump. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. I was gonna say. I wonder if it's like sort of the liberal apathy that can happen when we've got a Democrat in office, but maybe not. Then, if it was Obama, I lost track of time. No, I, he was in there, and I was really upset with the fact that he didn't do more to. I mean, they are, you know, shooting water cannons at people in the freezing weather and he did not seem to be very interested in shutting that down because I was a champion for that president I loved him until he didn't show up for the natives a lot of people say that he couldn't that there were reasons and I'm like you can't tell me that there's a reason that a president can't come in and shut some stuff down yeah he was in there and then Trump of course you know was going to permit everything in terms of raping the land and that's how we're here now Um, he pushed those permits through December, I think, for line three. They had to wait for moratoriums to lift, you know, for anybody who doesn't know the history or the how, why June was important, why July was important in this fight. And that could be why, too, is that Standing Rock, when it happened, they were doing drilling right then. For Enbridge, um, they haven't been actively drilling until June. That's when more of the moratoriums were lifted on like wetlands, on the bird population, you know, that are protected out here, they could not drill. So now that they're actively drilling, I think maybe more people could be enticed. But again, you know, it's July. We've been doing this work since May. Um, We see waves of people coming in, but not like huge crowds like there were at Standing Rock. Yeah, yeah. Who was enforcing the moratoriums? Who was enforcing? I think Minnesota government. Yeah, so we got Penny Flanagan and Timothy Waltz. Peggy is a White Earth Band member. So you would think that she's got a vested interest in keeping her people's land safe. Yet, she seems to be siding with Enbridge in the sense that she's not doing anything actively to prevent, you know, the activity that's going on. She did run on climate also. (laughs) So uh, we've got yet another politician that could care less. And, you know, Tim Waltz is a fucking Democrat and all these Democrats say that they run on environment but when it comes down to the nuts and bolts of it you can't say that you're going to run on environment and then permit drilling like this when you know every pipeline has burst that's ever been placed in the United States and it has been a catastrophe for the surrounding land that it has burst into right so it doesn't make sense it costs a lot of money for these pipelines when they do burst and it's always catastrophic for the surrounding environment and they continue to allow it yeah well so say we share this conversation share more media share share more and more and more folks learn about line three what's the hope what's the action what's the ask if you can get out here you know bodies mean more than you would imagine in terms of solidarity in terms of keeping the momentum up and in terms of you know pulling off some of these actions that do need support and if you can't show up physically then there are camps that you know do need 
donations. You know, we are subsisting on food that comes from the goodness of people and their hearts and that believe in environment and believe in protecting the climate. So if you can't, you know, show up in physical body, show up in any way you can just to support this this fight. And if you can't do it for climate, then do it because resource extraction is another form of indigenous genocide. You know, so keep that heavy on your heart that people will die. And I don't mean just because of a pipeline bursting. There's a huge epidemic of sex trafficking along pipelines because man camps set up. And when they do, traffickers come in and exploit indigenous boys, girls, teenagers, and adults. And that epidemic is at 22% higher than any other demographic in the United States. So consider that people will die and these people will be exploited and um, they won't overcome that trauma. So as much as, you know, it's easy to sit back at home and think like, well, it doesn't affect me and I've got a good life and I don't want to get involved in something that could get me arrested. We're out here doing this. <laughs> Not because we like living in the woods. I don't hate living in the woods, but I've got relatives, you know, that could be exploited tomorrow. I've got seven nieces that at any moment could be stolen and brought to these man camps and trafficked. So think of that as your little girl or your little boy, you know, that could be stolen and that could die because, because of greed, because of capitalism and because you know white people just can't help themselves <laughs> hate to say that and that's with a lot of love and solidarity to the white people that have shown up for this movement you know I do appreciate the solidarity but we'll be honest the patriarchy and government being as white as it is that that's how we are in this boat today it's a white supremacist culture yeah yeah is there anything else you want to say support for my comrades today anybody that was arrested in this fight and you know even if you can't show up and donate or show up in body call and harass police departments mm. tell them what they're doing is wrong indigenous people being taken out of public waterways is wrong right and you do have a voice you do have power when it comes to letting law enforcement letting city governments know their culpability and where they're wrong as much as it feels very fear-based to think like that like I don't want to get myself in trouble I don't want to get my family in trouble if I put myself out there to law enforcement I put myself at risk well you're going to be at risk if the climate completely implodes right we're all going to be at risk if slash it already is. it already is yeah. a fire in the gulf is no small thing and fires in the Pacific Northwest and rising temperatures is no small thing. So your time will come anyway. Take a stand in the meantime for something that is right, you know, for humanity, human rights, for climate rights, environmental rights, indigenous rights, like across the board, stand for something before the climate takes you out. And all the little critters that live in these places. Yeah. Yeah, if you're an animal lover, if you hate humans, which right, is understandable, yeah. <laughs> then at least stand for the trees, stand for Earl the like Squirrel. Swimming. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> these waters are amazing. Like being sweltering heat. Right. Yeah. Right. Stand for that. You know, stand for the flowers that you love to sniff and smell and look at. You know, 
that stuff is important and it really is earth is an amazing incredible planet and so unique in that we are able to exist here and we only got one as much as that sounds very cliche we fuck this up it's over and i would hate to see that do you want to share your name or identity oh sure you did share a little bit yeah jake spotted wolf again out of seattle washington but currently residing at camp mcgeezy and three affiliated tribes thank you so much yeah thanks for the interview To learn more, stay connected, and join in the movement to Stop Line 3, you can visit stopline3.org. Thank you for listening to the We Rise podcast. You can learn more about our cultural production at weriseproduction.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you can email us through the link on our website. And connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at We Rise Production and on Twitter at We Rise Producers. We Rise is a labor of love and we deeply appreciate your support. If you're able, you can contribute to our Patreon or PayPal, which you can find on our website. Shout out to our brilliant music producer, Diasporadical, to the inspirational youth of Pink Panther Sorority for our theme song our compassionate transcriptionist, Yolanda Mendoza, and to our collaborators, creatives, and visionaries, lifting hearts and minds in classrooms, on stages, in Zoom rooms, and on front lines across Turtle Island and overseas. Five, six, five, six, seven, eight. I rise, you